Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to Are You For Real? My name is Tom, and with me, as always, is Grant. Bonjour. So, this is Are You For Real? 4th of July edition. Hope everyone out there is enjoying themselves, being safe. We're recording this uh, on the 4th of July, and... Uh, this is going to be, uh, I, th- I think, is probably going to be a pretty quick episode. This is a um, follow-up to our previous episode on the Manhattan abduction. So if you have not listened to our previous episode entitled The Manhattan Abduction, you should listen to that first before proceeding any further. Um, yeah, but I did. I listened back to it Um and man, yeah, you kept asking, you were getting confused on the, on the chronology. Um, I think, I think you were a little distracted cause you weren't feeling too well, having some tummy troubles. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but then I realized, yeah, you would ask me to clarify and I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. And it was still pretty confusing. So, uh, yeah, we'll kind of break it down, down in simple terms, but, uh, we go over it in much more detail. Yeah. I think, stuff, a, so. I think, a, I think a quick recap is in order for sure. Yeah. And I, I apologize, guys. I My reporting skills, I hate it. I've, I've been, uh, <laughs> for a while, I was getting into, uh, you know, making sure I was clear, not using they and she and he and, um, you know, really, uh, I don't know. Tom, I think you, especially with your legal training, you're much better at presenting a case or presenting evidence than uh, than I am. I just... I talk to people like they already know what I'm talking. I don't know. Well, it, Grant, you know what, man, you're you're so critical of yourself all the time, and I wish you weren't. Um, we're both we're but bo- we've both been guilty of devolving into the pronoun trap uh, for the last couple episodes. So I think uh, we will we will do our best to present uh, what's happening here in as simple terms as possible and as clear terms as possible because we owe it to you, the listener, those of you who uh, who enjoy listening to us. So. Absolutely. Uh, Grant, is there someone you wanted to give a shout out to today? I, forget. I, I think, well, yeah, I want to give a shout out to Grant. Uh, yeah. Not me. No, uh, we've got a, a listener that keeps emailing us and I, I really in, enjoy his emails. It's uh, it's good. You know, I, I invite all our listeners to, to give us an email or shoot us an email and uh, hand us an email. Think, you know? <laughs> Please yeah. hand us an email. Uh, yeah. Shout out from Tom to Grant as well. Uh, and to everyone who's been emailing us uh, with your criticisms and uh, your constructive criticisms and not so constructive criticisms and your uh, kind words of support during this uh, during these uncertain times. So. Yeah, and we've gotten quite a few, you know, and it's great. We enjoy all of them, even the ones where they just point out the bad jobs that we know we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but um, it's fair. It's fair. Most of the criticisms have been fair. Yeah, uh, we but, know. We know the title's confusing. It should be "Are UFOs Real?" But we've got a dumb pun or "Are you for real, so. guys?" We're, it's not changing. It's "Are you for real?" Okay. Yeah, yeah I have to say it that way too. Um, but, and uh, again, again, another major thank you to everyone who's been sticking with us. This, this Skype, Skype is not ideal, but we hope to someday. Uh, uh, be able oh, to wait, record wait. in the same room again. So speaking of speaking of Skype, that 
it just cut out. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Case in point. Hopefully we can be in the same room and just record with each other. But Grant and I are exercising an abundance of caution these days, uh, as we should, as COVID cases are spiking throughout the nation. Uh, in San Diego, uh, we're, we're experiencing a spike now as well. So we hope all of you are safe and uh, taking everything uh, as cautiously as you can this holiday weekend in America. Yeah, and I, I really want to give a shout out to everyone that's that sent us an email. We've got a lot of um, show topics coming up that that were suggested by you, the listener, and uh, we're excited to look into them. Yeah, and we got some surprises coming too, um, in terms of uh, show subjects. So keep keep showing us, keep keep sending us uh, show ideas, uh, and we will we'll take a look at them. And I, I think that is a problem with the Skype is I always feel like I'm interrupting or like you have something to say. So I'm rushing through everything. But uh, anyway, we're going to go s- slow and low this time. We'll Real do the low. best we can today. We'll do the best we can today. But um, let me see, Tom. So so how much did you pick up? Would you be able to tell the story of Linda Cortile and the Manhattan UFO? Abduction, yeah, or I'll, how give, you, I'll, I'll give a here's the, the Reader's Digest version, as I understand it. Uh, Linda Cortile or, um, um, was in. Well, at some point she had something uh, her nose was tampered with. Um, she, she found that out by going to a doctor, correct? Right, right. She, um, yeah, she had like a a lump on her nose and she thought it was a tumor. So she went and got it examined and they had told her that, uh, that it was just from a prior surgery, but she had never had nose surgery before. And she even checked with her mother just to make sure this was, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how old she was at the time, but I think she was, I mean, she might have been in her twenties or so. Um, at that yeah, time. and then she she wound she was looking for a, a book about Frank Sinatra, and she wound up finding the book Intruders by Bud Hopkins, and she read it, and uh, it it spoke to her, and she um, wound up attending his support group for people who may have been abducted uh, or had close encounters of the the fourth kind. Right. And and just to clarify that, so if it's not clear, so so she was reading that book and she said like the first chapter, I guess it mentioned something about nose implants or mysterious surgeries or something like that. And then that's when she remembered 12, 13 years earlier that that had happened, that incident. And um, the book invited readers to reach out to Bud Hopkins. So that's what she did. And by that point, he had, you know, a lot of people had reached out to him with similar stories. And then that's how she kind of got wrapped up in that whole mess. No, I, I don't mean to be disappointed, yeah. but yeah. Um, so then she got involved with him, and, and I guess there were support groups that he was hosting or, or chairing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, organizing. Yeah, and then interestingly enough, uh, while she was attending this uh, support group, uh, one evening she claims to have been uh i guess floated out of her her apartment window or gone through the roof i, I believe might have been the word uh right. she went through she went through the roof uh she got uh, abducted and there were some witnesses on uh, the brooklyn bridge um two of them who uh were cia agents assigned to escort un secretary general uh, javier de cuellar i believe is how his name is pronounced 
Um, and they wound up. And, go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. One important detail, though, is that um, he didn't receive a letter from them until I Who believe didn't? it was a fifth. Fifth. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Bud Hopkins. Um, so. So yeah, basically, um, she called Linda Cortil. Linda called Bud Hopkins, right, and says, "Oh yeah, this morning, like last night, I I woke up and." I was surrounded by grays and then I was levitated through the ceiling into a big ship that looked like opened up like a clam uh, overlooking the Brooklyn Bridge and uh, and Manhattan Bay, I believe it is. And um, and that's all she really remembered. Um, And then, of course, hypnotherapy and whatnot. And and they they found some more information. And then he was looking he had uh he had done a story about it or, or written a story about it, kind of uh share the story. And it wasn't until fifteen months later that he received a letter from these these bodyguards. Right. If that makes sense, yeah. Did you mention Yes. That? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. Curious. No, no, that's no, that's fine. Um and yeah, and then one of the the bodyguards apparently developed an infatuation slash obsession with uh, Miss uh, Ms. Cortile. Right. Yeah, he he became obsessed with her for some reason. That's what that's what all the sources I read said. Basically, he started acting crazy and became obsessed with her. They apparently they they claimed these these bodyguards. They first they said they were policemen, and then they said they were secret secure. Uh, CIA secret, or secret, secret service. service, I believe. And then they, then they said they were CIA and they arranged to have like an interview with Linda, which was kind of like an interrogation. And then they ended up kidnapping her in broad daylight, like throwing her in a van. Um, I may be getting that mixed up. Maybe that was the, the interview or interrogation. Um, and then eventually one of them, uh, brought her to a beach house and dressed her in a nightgown, apparently similar to the one she was wearing that day. And she ended up escaping. He chased her out onto the beach and started dunking her head in the ocean. Apparently when the other fortuitously, very fortuitously, the, uh, the other agent showed up and rescued her, Richard. Some, uh, like, I think you mentioned it last episode. This possibility of some real good cop, bad cop stuff gone, horribly wrong there yeah but then then the other richard dan was the guy that had kidnapped her solo style and then richard mysteriously showed up and rescued her and then he came back and said yeah dan dan's in the asylum now he's looney tunes <laughs> then, so and i don't story- know if i even even really got into it but i had read as well i'm sure this is all in the book um but uh that it turns out that Dan had also been an abductee and he and Linda had been abducted all throughout their lives and had met each other during an abduction. I did yeah, not I know kinda, about that. I realized that listening over to it too, that I had kind of glossed over that, but, um, so this story is, is murky to say the best, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you. So we're going to try and I think this episode, we're going to, uh, look into the credibility of the witnesses. Is that what, is that the plan grant? Yeah, exactly. We'll look at the witnesses and then we'll kind of dissect some of the uh, skepticism around this case. Um, there's some interesting things there. I, I, you know, I've mentioned it before, probably three or four times, but I, 
I think uh, the story itself is just pretty fantastic. Like, you know, there's not often uh, a levitation abduction that's over a major city that's witnessed by numerous people. But then once you bring in these mysterious uh, witnesses, um, it just gets crazier and crazier, in my opinion. It's it's all very hard to believe, really, uh, or too good to be true, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, uh, skepticism abounds in this one, and uh, frankly, I'm 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 pretty skeptical of this. But I am interested to hear about hear about your claim to have witnessed it. Um, yeah, and you're kind of cutting out there, but yeah, you're you're interested to hear the witnesses, I'm sure. Yes, I'm interested to hear what the witnesses have to say and uh, their um, uh, well, their background and everything. Well, I don't want to repeat too much here, but you know, as I stated in the last episode, um, the website that I can no longer log into, and I just tried it before recording here, just in case, but uh, it's it still seems to be down. It just says the server's unavailable. The uh, Linda Cortile case dot com. Um, I'm, I'm going to put the links in there anyway, just in case, you know, someone's listening to this a month later and, and you can bring it up because um, it's a, it's really interesting. Um, lots of it seemed like there was a lot of information on there from what I could see. But um, that that website seemed to state that there were 23 witnesses total. And um, it had a, a somewhat wow. detailed breakdown of most of them. Um, a lot of these are just people that were on the bridge. Um, that's another detail of the story is apparently the cars on the bridge kind of like shut down and their headlights went off and I believe the lights on the bridge itself. So they were just stuck on the bridge in the dark and people were getting out of their cars and they could, they could see this bright UFO basically hovering over the apartment. This is the Brooklyn bridge, man, that, and yeah, and that, and that to me, as I mentioned before, that, that seems like something that would have been front page news. Um, yeah, I mean, just despite the, the, the inherent weirdness of, of, of a paranormal episode like that. Um, it seems like something that uh, news news groups would have taken and just absolutely ran with. I mean, the internet wasn't around yet at that point, but you'd think, like I said, like the New York post at least would have been like, Hey man, cars stopped on Brooklyn bridge last night and not because they turned off. Uh, not because their drivers turned them off. Like there was a, a, a shutdown of at least 23, uh, 23 people on the bridge and the lights went out. That's, that's news, man. That's front, that's front page news. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. They just got out and walked. <laughs> <laughs> that's from, that's from the, uh, the everybody hurts video from REM, right? Right, right. Uh, I guess it's an oldie now, but, uh, well, as yeah. you can, as you guys have probably noticed already, Grant and I get a huge kick out of, just making references to each other on this that I, any of you may or may not get. And uh, if you get it, I, we're super happy. If you don't get it, just bear with us, please. Please, God, bear with us. But I think you're right. Um, I think that would be headline news. I mean, the Phoenix Lights is a pretty incredible story. But if somebody clearly saw, first off, yeah, the cars powered down in a classic UFO trope. And people get out, and then they looked across the bay over New York. They see a, a brightly glowing UFO that's hovering, you know, like basically, uh, yeah. Um, I don't think that's the right word, hovering people into it, but uh, levitating people into it. Um, well, clam maybe clamming people into it. 
uh, <laughs> yeah. is a word. I don't think cl- I think clamming is a verb used in a different context. But let's say, if, you know, if they're on the Brooklyn Bridge and they see people, someone getting clammed into a UFO. Uh, that's got to be that's front page, dude. That's front I mean, page, think, baby, all the way. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, but it, I mean, one one theory, and we'll get into another one here when we get into the witnesses. But is that um. Well, a lot of the witnesses, basically, they thought that, that they were witnessing a movie being filmed. So that may be one reason, but I don't know why their cars would have, you know, maybe they thought it was unrelated. But, um, yeah, let's let's get into it here. So the um, the two agents, uh, their aliases, Dan and Richard, and the U.N. guy, Quajar, um, are obviously the most interesting. And, and we kind of went into them in a lot of detail Um do we have real names, or do they still go by pseudonyms? No, nah, just the pseudonyms. These these characters are pretty mysterious. Mysterious, I think. Yeah. Um. So we have no way to verify if they're actually CIA or, uh, right. police or FBI or Secret Service or uh, DEA or. Uh, you got to take them at their word, basically. So. Park yeah. Rangers. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if. So supposedly, uh, we kind of went into this. Um, I I didn't find a lot of information, but yeah, apparently Hopkins did meet with the UN Secretary General, and uh, and he admitted that he saw it, but he wasn't willing to go go public with it. To go on record as saying yeah. that to De Cuellar, that would be the most convincing. Obviously, that would be the most. Uh, here's my favorite word: compelling. Uh, right. If, if Mister De Cuellar, uh would come forward. Um, and uh, corroborate what Bud Hopkins had said. It would be, but it could have been career-ending for a, a military, someone that high up in the military uh, to admit that they had seen something like that, maybe. But um, we'll get into that soon. Well, uh, it looks like he just he just passed away this year. Um, looks like... Uh, uh, oh, really? Yeah, it looks like he passed away on Mr. Dick Cuellar, passed away March 4th, 2020. Uh, oh. Gosh, he was 100 years old. Oh wow, that's wow. too bad. But a long, rich yeah. life, I guess. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. Um, well, uh, Linda, the star abductee, also claimed that her cousin Connie had also witnessed the event. But then, when the supposed cousin contacted Hopkins, he was pretty certain that it was just Linda pretending to be her cousin Connie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could see it could probably sound quite quite similar. I don't know how he came to that conclusion, I but uh, her going, "Hi, this is Connie," like holding her nose. <laughs> right. Of course, oh, it makes dear. me think of a oh, of a dear. famous story about our president. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, pretending to be a reporter or whatever, uh, but um. Did wait a minute. So, and this was Bud Hopkins who thought it was who even said, "Hey, this is." Probably Linda pretending to be Connie. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later too. That that comes in with the skepticism and and his research methods, where he just kind of shrugs off. Oh yeah, that was weird. Like my star uh, abductee was just pretending to be a witness. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Um, that might throw up some red flags there. Yeah, a couple. A couple. That's like virtual, like semaphore, like red flags all over the place. (laughs) You can't see me. You guys can't see me flailing my arms wildly in a semaphore fashion. But anyway. uh, Yeah. 
when he's trying to build credibility by having all these witnesses. And that's the, the keystone to this story. But, um, Another interesting witness that is often referenced is also mentioned in Hewitt's article on paranormal.com. Um, and I, I think I did go into her, too, in the last episode. But, uh, quote, while all of this was taking place, Bud Hopkins received another letter in the mail. This came from a woman called Janet Trimble. She revealed that she, too, was driving across the Brooklyn Bridge at the time of the original abduction. Trimble, a retired telephone operator, assumed that the event was nothing more than a scene or filming of a scene from an upcoming science fiction film, end quote. So um, that's what a lot of the witnesses say, like, as I already mentioned. Um, wow. And then... Uh, did it, Did anyone admit to filming during this time or anything that you were able to find like what um, were there no. was anything being filmed uh um you know it, it never really mentions it or anything uh, but uh no i don't think anything was being filmed okay because i mean it, it, that that kind of makes sense like if you're gonna try and film on location at like at night i guess 3 a.m would be the time to do it with the least amount of traffic but at the same time like i i someone would have to be doing like some kind of gonzo film production where they wouldn't acquire permits uh, because any kind of filming like that, I'm sure would require permits. And you'd probably want to power down everyone's cars to, to get rid of background noise and and light and, you know, shut down the Brooklyn bridge. too. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming those are related, but, um, so, uh, and another major, major witness that I found really intriguing was a man named Nancy. Oh, it says Nancy, but I think it changed it. It's Yancey Spence, um, who also claimed to be on the Brooklyn bridge. Uh, I found the interview on YouTube and linked it, linked to it in the show notes. Um, I highly recommend watching that one. Cause it's a, it's a good, a good witness basically. Like there's no reason to disbelieve this guy. He seems really honest and, uh, just trying to figure out what he saw. Um, he was also a driver for the New York Post at the time, and um, he—I he, mean, he sounds like a man just trying to remember a strange thing that he witnessed 13 years ago. This is, you know, this recording was recorded after the fact, 13 years later, obviously. Right. Um, Spence claims that he thinks that his thoughts were being affected by the craft, as he found himself somewhat confused or, or dazed and unable to piece together what was going on at the time which is interesting. So that might be why a lot of people didn't come forward with it or if there was some kind of mind ray being used or something. Um, but yeah, uh-huh. he's not really, he's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I couldn't really piece together what was going. I don't know why I wasn't more blown away. You know, I was taking everything in, but I just wasn't reacting the way I would expect to, which is interesting. Um, yeah. So that's the New York post guy that we were talking about last time. All right. Um, yeah. Um, he was just a driver, you know, and he he does say that, yeah, he just after it happened, he just went back uh, either home. I think he went back to work, basically, and just started delivering papers, you know, but um, didn't really mention it to anybody or anything. Um, he also. Uh, well, anyway, I'll, I'll get into it here. I don't want to cut off what I wrote down here already, but um but Spence describes how his truck stopped and his headlights went out and how all of the other vehicles around him seemed to stop as well. And all of their lights went out. 
Uh, Spence also mentions that all the lights on the bridge and that he could see in the city seemed to be out as well. I was a little confused on this, um, but I think he was saying that lights in the city were out too. And he said, yeah, you'd think that would be reported. I mean, that's odd. Um, But I, I don't know. I was multitasking. I was listening to it while I was, uh, I think, cleaning up the kitchen or making some food or something. So uh, I may have missed some of those details. But, um, yeah, I think that's a big thing. I've never seen that mentioned before, that lights in the city were out or anything like that. So, um, Well, I think that might have been a uh, – I mean, at 3 a.m., that it wouldn't surprise me if there were a bunch of lights out in the city. I mean, it's it's bright at all times, the city itself, but um, that wouldn't surprise me if he was – uh, either mistaken about that or if it was just a, a building full of tenants who happened to be asleep at 3 a.m., which isn't necessarily uh, unheard of. Right, right. Um, yeah, I guess you'd have to be looking at the street lights to see if the whole grid was out or something like that. Or Yeah, maybe they just put the – yeah, anyway, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, do buildings have lights up at the top of them? I guess some of them do, huh? Or- um, At the top, I think most light, most yeah. buildings do, man. Just for right. for for the pilots, for pilots' sake, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would be odd if there's just a bunch of dark buildings, you know. Um, Big time. So, uh, so Spence gives an interesting description of what he witnessed. He says at first he thought it was a movie opening or something, and there was a spotlight on the building. You know, not not that a movie was being filmed, but he thought it was like spotlights for a movie premiere at three in the morning. Seems kind of weird, but yeah. And then um, he saw what that the light was level with the top of the building and seemed to narrow or focus, which he knew that those types of lights couldn't do. Hmm. Um, that's the way he describes it. But yeah, basically, he, he realized it was coming from like high or something. Um I mean, basically, he looked at it and he realized, yeah, that's, that's not a spotlight beam. And then he he specifically says that he knows that, you know, he saw it kind of narrow and narrow in on one window. And he knew that Ooh, spotlight can't okay. do that. Um, he yeah, also, have you, I, I've actually seen um, I, I've, I've seen films being shot at night before. I don't know if you have, Grant, but it's pretty uh, it's, a, it's a very bright affair. Uh, they were actually shooting something uh, in uh, just a few neighborhoods over a couple of years ago. And I remember the house was uh, I remember driving by and seeing like massive lights all over. I was like, oh, God, someone must have been murdered over there. But <laughs> it turns out it was just a film set with uh, all sorts of super bright lights. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I haven't seen that. But, yeah, you need a lot of light to film. That's for sure. But but he was thinking it was like a movie premiere or something, you know, where you got the the spotlights all over the place going up. <laughs> okay, like going. Exactly. Um, and maybe in the big city in the Big Apple that they do that a lot or something. I don't know. Um. So he said that he saw. Uh, oh yeah, he so he he said he thought that that this beam uh, might be the military testing some new laser technology. Um, he said it looked strange because you could actually see the beam of light, not just the the apex of it or whatever. You could see it like a, like a cone of light, basically. Um, which sounds wow. similar to the account we heard about uh, the Allagash abduction, I think. 
That's um, uh, in some ways that's scarier than uh, being an alien <laughs> military testing some secret, <laughs> right. some secret laser thing on unsuspecting citizens. <laughs> like that's somehow scarier than uh, a, an alien doing that uh, to me right. anyway. <laughs> well, he thought that was unusual, and he did worry about that. He said, "Well, that seems dangerous if they're like, you know, he theorized <laughs> that they might be like testing." testing the distance it could go and shining it into the city. But he's like, yeah, that, that seems pretty dangerous. Um, and then uh, Spence also, uh, he said that he saw the light beam narrow and focus on one of the windows of the building. And then he saw a woman and three strange creatures floating out and into the craft, but he doesn't actually mention it opening up like a clam. So that's disappointing. Um, he didn't see any clamming taking place. Right. Uh, he does describe the top part of the UFO looking uh, like glowing and pulsating magma or something with uh, with wavy lines in it. He said it looked like when you dissolve cream into coffee, but it was orange and red instead. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> after it started glowing, the that's the neat description. That's a really really neat description. Yeah, yeah. He says Sorry, that a couple of different out. times. You were cutting out there. Oh yeah. He, yeah, he says that a couple of times. Like it looks like basically liquid, like dissolving into each other, different colored liquids, viscous liquids. Um, after it started glowing, the craft shot off over the bridge and disappeared. And he even says, like, yeah, if you were, if you, that was a good way to do it because not a lot of people would see that or something. Um, his vision was somewhat blocked as at the time the top of the bridge was for foot traffic and he was in the lower section where you're kind of caged in, you know. Yeah, um, which is which would be scary to be trapped there, honestly, with the light. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you see people getting clammed out of their apartment and then, <laughs> man? But uh, yeah, it, it's a good interview. You know, if you're if you're interested in in witness interviews, then I I would definitely recommend that one because uh, you know uh, Hopkins is showing him a map of the area and and trying to put it together and he said oh that's weird because i thought it was here you know so uh i don't know he just seems like an honest guy telling a story you know i like him already sounds like his what was his name yancey spence is that it uh yeah i believe so yancey spence i put nancy spence but that's not his name so (laughs) that might be be my computer uh correcting me they're like i think you mean nancy I put Tom Richards, but his name is actually Yancey Spence. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's that's all I really – I mean, those are the most interesting witnesses. Uh, like I said before, I, I was looking through that site that I can't access anymore for whatever reason, and um, they had quite a few of them. A lot of them were very similar, just like in, in nearby buildings or on the bridge, and they just – they saw, you know, what was described and uh, – I don't know. I don't want to misrepresent information, but it, from what I remember, a lot of them thought it was a, maybe a movie or something like that. Yeah. Uh, filmed. Um, but let's get let's get into some skeptical analysis now. Um, let's see here. But yeah, Tom, I I would check out that interview. It's pretty cool. <laughs> cool, <laughs> man. Um, obviously, the links are going to be there. Um, so uh, obviously the main thing that people find suspicious is the CIA agent and UN officials involvement. Um, I say obviously because it's brought up by a, by a few a few different websites and it it does seem like a fortuitous 
coincidence. Well, that's one of those. Right yeah, it, for, it, it seems like a make or break kind of thing. If you're if you claim that you've got uh, that there are CIA agents involved and by involved, I mean, witnessing the thing and the U.N. secretary general, uh, you got to put up or shut up. And man, I, I at this point, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of putting up. But yeah, um, so uh, basically, uh, again, uh, we've already we've already hinted at it, but the uh, eyes of the psychic dot com article by Philip Coppins that I quoted in the last episode goes into some detail about a theory of the CIA trying to defame the U.N. official. Uh, the ar- article also covers what seems to be a main problem with the story in that the travel arrangements of high-level UN officials is done with a lot of security measures and pre-planning, which lends doubt to the uh, claimed events. And finally, the uh, article gets into some very interesting analysis done by some of Hopkins' fellow UFO researchers and colleagues. Um, So, quote, There is evidence that shows that the Linda case fits perfectly within a U.S. government campaign, which involves UFOs and the Secretary General of the United Nations. According to Richard Tomlinson, an ex-MI6, British intelligence operative, quote, during the run-up of, uh, to the 1992 Secretary General elections, MI6 mounted a smear operation against the Egyptian candidate, Boutros Boutros Ghali, who was regarded as dangerously Francophile by the CIA. Francophile. Uh, the CIA are constitutionally prevented from manipulating the press, so they asked MI6 to help. MI6 planted a series of stories to portray Boutros Ghali as unbalanced, claiming that he was a believer in the existence of UFOs and extraterrestrial life. Okay, <laughs> I got I. Wait, wait, you're cutting. This is our alley. I, I got to get this out of the way. This is our this is our alley G reference for the day. LEG was interviewing Boutros, Boutros Gully, and he's like, I'm sitting here with my main man, Boutros, 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 Boutros Gully. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't remember that you, one. You don't remember that? Okay. No, no. So LEG, yeah, anyway, LEG interviewed Boutros, Boutros Gully on the LEG show. So that's our mandatory LEG reference for the show. Anyway, sorry. Uh, let me see. Um so, yeah, they, they plan a series of stories to portray Butos Ghali as unbalanced, claiming that he was a believer in the existence of UFOs and extraterrestrial life. The operation was eventually unsuccessful, however, and Butros Ghali was elected, end quote. So, uh, and then we're back to quoting the website itself. Here is testimony that the CIA in 1992 was mounting a disinformation campaign directed towards the highest echelons of the UF, or the UN in depicting the Secretary General as a UFO believer. The Linda Napolitano abduction fits within this time frame, 1991, including the target UN Secretary General and the modus operandi, 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 modus mm-hmm. operandi, uh, UFOs. It is a perfect match. Furthermore, the actions of the two agents spreading disinformation is allowed within the ballywack of the or ballywick of the CIA, as the press was indeed. Not manipulated, but the CIA manifesto says nothing about manipulating UFO abduction researchers, does it? In a perfect world, 
witness could have made a real impact and could have convinced many of the re- reality of the UFO phenomenon. What it what it in the end lacked was the name of Perez de Cuyar. 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 Perez de Cuyar featuring in its pages, as that would have resulted in a yes or no from the by then former Secretary General. But the name was, of course, missing for legal reasons. Though according to Hopkins, he largely agreed with what he had seen, he did not want to say so in public. The inclusion of his name must have opened up his publisher to a major lawsuit, which was no doubt why his name did not go into the book. The Secretary General was not discredited, and the hoax had missed its maximum impact. Mm. What do you think? Well, it... I don't completely follow. It sounds like so the target of the misinformation thing or was Boutros Boutros Gali, but it ended up targeting Dequayar. No, no, no. Uh, they okay. were targeting Dequayar, De but they used Boutros Gali as evidence that this has been done before. Like, okay, got it. It's modus okay. operandi. Operandi. Got it. Or no, I'm using that term incorrectly. But anyway, yeah. Basically, they're using that as an example, like this stuff goes on, and this time instead of Boutros, they're targeting okay. De Cuellar. Um That's so funny. I mean, like, why would like like why would you do some crazy campaign to try and paint someone as a UFO believer? That sounds like a really weird way to smear somebody. But anyway, well, uh, the question is, who was responsible? Did Richard and Dan somehow gain access to Linda's story and decide to, quote-unquote, elaborate on this? This would qualify this as straightforward disinformation. Had Linda invented everything? I started that out wrong. Had Linda invented everything? Many agreed that it would be impossible for her to pull this off, as specifically Richard and Dan and Dan seemed genuine people and true CIA agents. Could a private citizen employ two CIA agents to help a woman perpetrate a UFO hoax? It would take an extreme amount of, quote-unquote, guts for this woman to do so. Furthermore, it seems unlikely that she would wait more than a year before bringing Richard and Dan on the scene. However, though Bud Hopkins and Linda Napolitano were manipulated, they were both easy and willing victims. The term self-delusion comes to mind, whereby the biggest carrot ever dangled in front of a UFO researcher and an abductee made them blind to any logical thinking. This became very apparent in early 1993. One of the first critics of the case were Joseph J. Stefula, Richard D. Butler, and George P. Hansen, who published their critique in January 1993. They based their analysis on the public presentation about the incident that Hopkins had done by that time. They were furthermore the first to name Javier Perez de Cuellar as the mystery individual involved. Both Butler and Stefula <clears throat> were were part of Hopkins' circle, and they spoke to Napolitano before the controversy became a matter of public interest. As early as January 28, 1992, Linda requested a meeting with Richard Butler, and on February 1, 1992, Linda, Stefula, and Butler met in New York City. Linda provided additional details about her experience, but also asked them not to inform Hopkins of their discussions. You follow? So, so uh, other people, um, it's basically, it's being peer-reviewed here. Right. 
And um, at the 1992 MUFON convention, Stefula, I, I, I doubt I'm pronouncing his name right, but Stefula. Like a uh, scapula. Yeah, S-T-E-F-U-L-A, Stefula, sure, attended the convention and noted that some of the statements directly contradicted what Linda had earlier told Stefula and Butler. They then contacted contacted Hopkins in an attempt to resolve these matters, but Hopkins declined to meet them, saying that he didn't want to discuss the case until his book manuscript was submitted. Nevertheless, a meeting did occur on October 3, 1992. Stefula and Butler were specifically flabbergasted over Hopkins and Napolitano's behavior surrounding her kidnapping by the two agents. Linda claimed that in April of 91, she encountered Richard on the street near her apartment. She was asked to get into their car, but she refused. Richard then picked her up and, with some struggle, forced her into the vehicle. Linda reported that she was driven around for three and a half hours, interrogated about the aliens, and asked whether she worked for the government. She also said that she was forced to remove her shoes so they could examine her feet to determine whether she was an E.T. alien. They later claimed that aliens lost toes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> <laughs> Take your shoes off, lady. We gotta make sure you're not an ET. I'll tell you what, man. Feet are a dead giveaway. Feet are a total tell. <laughs> it's all in the feet, man. Um, aliens lack toes. What do you want, man? Um, if it happened, it is clear that both men were mentally unstable at this moment in time. Alternative scenarios include that Linda had invented the abduction interesting or that the two men were acting it should be noted that linda had risen from a total nobody to the most important ufo abductee of all and such abductions would only add weight to her status as it would be considered validation in the eyes of both hopkins and the reader of the account and uh let's see um so as early as the MUFON symposium, Linda was asked if she had reported the kidnapping to the police. She said that she had not and went on to say that the kidnapping was legal because it had to do with national security. As early as the conversations with Butler in early 1992, Linda had expressed concerns about her personal safety. A meeting was arranged with Stefula because of his background in law enforcement. Despite claiming that she was kidnapped twice, nearly drowned, and feared further problems, Uh, could be in says install for her but in store for her she refused to contact the police even though apparently hopkins had given the same advice as stefula make an official complaint by god woman yeah (laughs) Uh, but to quote the three researchers if she was afraid why didn't her husband contact authorities the most plausible reason is that if a report was filed and her story proved false she could be subject to criminal charges Linda's failure here raises enormous questions of credibility, end quote. When the researchers were finally okay to speak to Hopkins, they found he was not alone. Among those in attendance were David Jacobs, Walter H. Andrus, and Jerome Clark. Jacobs was a leading UFO abduction researcher. Andrus was the head of MUFON, and Clark, one of the leading authors in the field. I was going to say, all those names sound familiar. Yeah. Well, uh, to quote the researchers, quote, we inquired if Hopkins had asked the guards of the apartment complex whether they had seen the UFO. He indicated that he had not done so. 
This is quite surprising, considering that the UFO was so bright that the woman on the bridge had to shield her eyes from it, even though she was more than a quarter mile distant. One would have thought that Hopkins would have made inquiries of the guards, considering the spectacular nature of the event, end quote. And I just imagine these these researchers that they're quoting all saying that in tandem, you know. It seems an odd quote. Can you, yeah, can you quote agree. a group of people in quotation? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I maybe like if you like if you're swearing them in or something like say yes we do but um, when they asked about the weather conditions on the night of the abduction Hopkins stated that he had not checked such details convinced the three researchers that Hopkins research on the basic story had been more than sloppy in short. All the possible hard evidence had not been researched by Hopkins, who had merely concentrated on hypnosis sessions with Napolitano and tried to track down Richard and Dan and convince De Cuellar of endorsing the project. This, yeah, man, um, I'm, I'm going to cut in here for a bit if you don't mind. I feel like uh, this is a classic case of someone who wants to believe uh, – specifically Bud Hopkins, uh, someone who wants to believe and their judgment becomes clouded by it. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I, I would like to believe that we're not alone in the universe. I don't want to believe that we're being abducted or anything like that, but it seems like Bud Hopkins had a, um, had focused such a big part of his life on this subject that he was willing to overlook serious, um, uh, serious problems with people's stories, and I yeah. think um, as it, the whole hypnotic regression thing, I I think has kind of um, fallen out of favor because of its inherent unreliability. But at the same time, like uh, I, I could see Bud doing this not for believing this woman, not for like nefarious financial reasons, but because he genuinely wanted to believe that this was going on and he probably wanted to help. Um, but I, this, this just seems like <sighs> there's a lot of gaping holes in this man. Yeah. But, and I hate to say it, but it could be, you know, he had a big hit book with a story that he broke, you know, and, um, yeah, he could be looking for that next book. And, and this is like huge, you know, sure. with all this, um, so he was looking for a big case, maybe even subconsciously, and just deluding himself into. Yeah, I, I think um, I think at at best this is um, just him being a, a bit too. I, I don't know if gullible is the right word. Maybe it is. Uh, I guess I'll use that just in case. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, at at best, this is him being a bit gullible and in determining who he wants to believe and what he wants wants to believe and at worst it could be uh financial like you were saying after the after the success of uh missing time and the success of intruders um you know it could have been a cash grab type situation i'd like to I'd, i would i'd like to think not but right well it seems kind of mysterious that he was like no i don't want to talk about it with other researchers until the book is done too but uh you know, um, I mean, I could see well, he wants to protect his work product, but still. Yeah, that's true. I mean, not taint the investigation, but yeah. Um, well, Jacobs, Andrus, and Clark had, apparently as a world exclusive, been told that the quote-unquote third man was de Couillard, 
Cuellar. Uh, Butler and Stefula, however, presented an outside expert who for many years had served in dignitary, dignitary protective services. He described the extensive pre-planning required for moving officials and the massive coordination that was involved. Many people and networks would be alerted if there were any problems at all, such as a car stalling or a delay in passing checkpoints. Quote, his detailed presentation seemed to take Hopkins aback. The consultant listed several specialized terms used by the dignitary protective services and suggested that Hopkins ask Richard and Dan the meaning of those terms as a test of their knowledge and thus credibility, end quote. That's one thing that's a little unclear to me is the relationship between Hopkins and Dan and Richard and Linda. Like, it seems like these guys were just going going ham on each other. <laughs> well, I, I wish we had actual names for Dan and Richard um, yeah, so that too. we could do some research on them. But I think um, uh, maybe Linda – went into this wanting help and then maybe, maybe saw the potential for some dollar signs. Um, well, that's interesting. You mentioned that cause uh, I was just about to mention something else that came up in their research. Um, ooh, ooh. I do want to say, I, I don't think I mentioned this either, this detail, but when Dan and Richard, they say when they originally saw her, they wanted to help her, you know, they were, they were worried about her and they said they wanted to help her, but they didn't, didn't know what they could do. So, I might have slightly mentioned it, and that's why they followed up because they wanted to make sure she was okay and stuff. But um, yeah. track her down and talk to it, and then they were obsessed with her. I don't know that <laughs> that, that whole plot point is very. I know, and man. Yeah. And look, look, and I said it before. Regardless of truth value, these things I find these stories fascinating. Right, right. Extremely entertaining. <laughs> All right, I like just imagining, it, but uh, right. Um, I think this would make a pretty good movie, but um, maybe not. Maybe it'd be kind of boring. But um, later in the meeting, the question arose about a financial agreement between Linda and Hopkins. Again, Tom jumping on it right before. Okay, man. Am, am I the psychic? Am I eye of the psychic here? Like, is that me? Because it could be. Grant, Grant, I feel like we can finish each other's sentences. Sen- I feel like we're in synthesis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, Stefula noted that Linda had told him that she and uh, Hopkins had an agreement to split profits from a book. Hopkins denied that there was any such arrangement, and Linda then claimed that she had deliberately planted disinformation. It is an intriguing admission whereby a person, when caught out telling a lie, states that she deliberately planted disinformation. Why? Hopkins, it seems, judging from his character, would be the last to ever ask such a question. I don't know why they're slinging at Hopkins there, but uh, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. The more you read this, it's like the more I just I mean, I don't want to. I think everyone knows what I'm thinking here, but uh, we'll. Well, let's. I called. I called a few to, more details here. Yeah, yeah. Go, please. Give me, give me the few more details, and then I'll call it like I seize it. Okay, okay. And uh, maybe we should save it for the end here, but I think, I think we've gave, given the ending away already. But okay, a UFO believer, Hopkins instead spoke the party line, suggesting that anyone who would criticize him now that he had gone public had to be a member of the intelligence agency. 
<laughs> this story is crazy. Uh, sent out specifically to discredit the truth. It is an intriguing allegation, which in essence means that Hopkins, a public warning, which in essence means that Hopkins, a public warning to anyone who doubted his research credibility, stating he would be labeled a government agency set out to destroy the truth from coming out. Uh, I think that needs an editor, that sentence, but uh, I don't understand it. (laughs) (laughs) It's missing some keywords. Um, Anyway, I just I just lifted it from directly. I'm reading directly here. But uh, indeed, Big Brother tactics are not just practiced by government authorities. UFO researchers have used them for many decades with moderate success. True to form, when Hansen published the research on Linda Napolitano, Hopkins by the time had already suggested that Hansen was a CIA agent. To quote the accused, quote, this was not an offhand remark made to a friend in an informal setting. Rather, this was asserted to a woman whom he did not know and who had happened to attend one of his lectures, a member of MUFON in New Jersey who had feared future repercussions if her name was mentioned. Personal communication, November 7th, 1992. Does that make sense? So she's afraid Bud is going to label her a government uh government truth denier i guess so yeah god bud i i didn't know this about you man like if that's true that's a major bummer yeah it is he seems like such a nice uh, yeah and youtube videos i've seen with him and i mean I, i've seen just clips of him speaking and he seems like such a a kindly fellow uh but if he's if he's uh, threatening people with some kind of giving them false reputations like that's bud that ain't cool bud rest your soul but uh bummer man i i really hope that's not true well um this part i found really interesting here so the uh the biggest gem uncovered by the three researchers was not napolitano's apparent willingness to change her story to fit the audience nor hopkins sloppy methods of research it was the fact that when linda was apparently reading intruders Another book got published, a science fiction novel, Night Eyes, by Garfield Reeves Stevens. To quote the three researchers who uncovered the parallels, the experiences reported by Linda seem to be a composite of those of two characters in Night Eyes, Sarah and Wendy. They then listed the series of coincidences, which some which are more than remarkable. And I'm going to go through this list because it is interesting. So uh, Linda was abducted into a UFO hovering over her high-rise apartment building in New York City. Sarah was abducted into a UFO hovering over her high-rise apartment building in New York City. Uh, Dan and Richard initially claimed to have been on a stakeout and were involved in a UFO abduction in, in during early morning hours. Early in Night Eyes, two government agents were on a stakeout and became involved in a UFO abduction during early morning hours. <laughs> I think I don't know if you're getting the pattern yet, but there's a lot of these. it. Seems <laughs> like I'm, I'm noticing a lot of parallels here. Yeah, uh, Linda was kidnapped and thrown into a car by Richard and Dan. Wendy was kidnapped and thrown into a van by Derek and Merrill. See, they're not the same. Yeah, car yeah. and van. All right. Exactly. Uh, nice Linda try. claimed. Claimed to have been under surveillance by someone in a van. Vans were used for surveillance in Night Eyes. Uh, Dan is a security intelligence agent. Derek was an FBI agent. Dan was hospitalized for emotional trauma. One of the government agents in Night Eyes was hospitalized for emotional trauma. During the kidnapping, Dan took Linda to a safe house. During the kidnapping, 
Derek took Wendy to a safe house. <laughs> the safe house Linda visited was on the beach. In Night Eyes, one safe house was on the beach. Uh, before her kidnapping, Linda contacted Bud Hopkins about her abduction. Before her kidnapping, Wendy contacted Charles Edward Starr about her abduction. Bud Hopkins is a prominent UFO abduction researcher living in New York City and an author who's written books on the topic. Charles Edward Starr was a prominent UFO abduction researcher living in New York City and an author who had written books on the topic. Well, so I, maybe maybe Bud Hopkins is all made up too. But, uh, Linda, Linda and Dan were abducted at the same time and communicated with each other during their abductions. Wendy and Derek were abducted at the same time and communicated with each other during their abductions. Almost oh, done Lord. Oh, Lord. But there are some coincidences. Um, Linda thought she, quote-unquote, knew Richard previously. Uh, Linda did, yeah. Wendy, quote-unquote, knew Derek previously. Previously, uh, Dan expressed a romantic interest in Linda. Derek became romantically involved with Wendy. Dan and Richard felt considerable vibration during the close encounter. During the UFO landing in Night Eyes, there was much vibration. Uh, I hadn't heard that vibration part before, but... Uh, Photographs of Linda were taken on the beach and sent to Hopkins. In Night Eyes, photographers taken on uh, photographs taken on a beach played a central role. The letter from the quote-unquote third man warned of ecological problems and potential harm to world peace if there was interference. Wendy was racing world disaster in Night Eyes. Now it seems like they're just grasping at straws, but uh, we can only wonder whether someone somewhere used this novel as the script along which to develop some part of quote-unquote reality. The answer has to be yes. I tend to agree. Yeah. Um, I have a suspect to you here, but let me just uh, get to the last part of my script and then we can kind of uh, discuss this. <laughs> but uh, they seem to think that the CIA, the, the website. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the website Eyes of the Psychic seems to think that the CIA used it as a script to to develop their thing, but I, I have a different theory here. Um, so, the, but the final piece of information that I was able to find was a, a documentary video I was able to find. Uh, I need an editor here. Um, was made by Hopkins' wife at the time, Carol Rainey. It seemed to be a segment of a three-part series she made that is kind of an analysis she did on UFO research and methods. Um, I expected it to be supportive going in to watch it, but it turned out to be pretty critical. Uh, in it, Rainey critiques the methods of UFO researchers compared to most scientific researchers. She mentions how UFO researchers don't have a process of strict peer review, which, as she says, can help to weed out any cog cognitive bias on the part of the UFO researcher. Right. Um, she admits to being surprised by how unconcerned Hopkins appeared to be with Linda's fabrication of evidence when Linda pretended to be a different eyewitness and also mentions some other strange claims made by Linda that may not have been included in Hopkins book on the case. Here are some of the ones that I found more interesting. Um, Linda claimed to have an, to have been abducted along with mafia head, John Gotti and others. Wait, 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 you cut out there. I heard John Gotti. Oh, yeah, yeah. Linda claimed to have been abducted along with mafia head John Gotti and others. Um, that oh, she may boy. or may not be part alien. That she has immortal red blood cells. That she is a descendant of Joan of Arc. That she was summoned to a private meeting with the Pope. Uh, that she was in the World Trade Center during 9-11. And that she had an agreement to split profits for the book Witnessed. 
Um, and this is Bud Hopkins' wife who is making these claims. Yeah, I guess she wasn't she wasn't very into UFOs at the time, which seems strange when you're getting wrapped up with a man like Hopkins, a mysterious man like. Well, him. yeah. Well, I guess you know he's an artist by trade, or he was. But yeah, that's maybe, true. Maybe that's she true. found maybe she found his interest in UFOs to be concerning. Yeah, I mean, she she seems to be at least a, an amateur doc, documentary filmmaker, maybe professional. Um, Is that on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, and and I'm I'm sharing the link to that segment too because it's, it's pretty interesting. I thought it was pretty revealing, you know, a little behind the scenes look at the investigation and methods and stuff. It seems like Hopkins basically just goes around and interviews people and then uh, does hypnosis there sessions and. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to discredit him or anything, and I don't know what their relationship was like. Um, you know, maybe she's just bitter. But uh, anyway, but she makes a good point where she's like, yeah, I, I expect it to be kind of like in most scientific research, you know, you have other people look at the same facts and, you know, try and uh, prove or discredit it so that you know that it's bulletproof. But it seems like Hopkins kind of took the opposite tack on this one and, and challenged anyone who disagreed with his conclusions. So. Yeah, it seems. I mean, it seems like there's a definite confirmation bias uh, in this you case. Know it seems like he he had convinced himself that Linda was telling the truth, uh, and maybe he got roped into it, and then just just you know stuck with it to say try and save face. Yeah, that could be. I mean, another thing is that he might feel that um, his witnesses or his subjects are are trusting in him and he feels like a protective duty you know Ooh, that's true that's true um and, and you know just from what i've seen about him i mean i don't feel like he's a huckster or anything i think he might be might be misguided or misinformed but um, yeah i don't know uh, but i don't know it's it's tough i i you know he's, but, uh, he's he has since passed away so we you know i can't really yeah uh, i mean that's the thing about him about hucksters or comment conmen. I mean, not, not that I think he is, you know, necessarily, but uh, they're usually pretty likable, you know, and, and charming. So it's it's tough, you know. Some more than others. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, that kind of brings me because just for fun, I also threw a link into the show notes of a television interview with Bud Hopkins and an abductee, unrelated to this story, but dealing with his other book, Intruders. And uh, I think I shared that with you, Tom. You sure did. It's just a that I love YouTube man. It's a time capsule, you know. Yeah, that's the one with uh, um, Debbie Jordan, uh, who, who I think is her real name, uh, and she went by Kathy in Intruders, but she on that TV show revealed herself and her uh, true name for the first time. Yeah, and she seems pretty uh, pretty serious about it, man. Uh, yeah. From what I can see of Linda, she's pretty bubbly and she just loves being on the camera and talking about it and stuff. But um, I don't want to, I don't know, maybe it's cognitive bias or whatever. But, uh, and I did read that somewhere else that she seems to be outgoing and love loves the attention from it and stuff. But um, yeah, Connie, was that her name? Debbie. Of intruders, Debbie. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, she seemed to be revealing traumatic stuff basically. And uh, I don't know, yeah. that's a whole other story where she, her baby was stolen from her and everything so um there's some nice uh i gotta mention it though there's some nice reaction shots where she's talking about <laughs> her fetus and and bud hopkins is talking about her period coming back and then uh 
it cuts to like a 13 year old kid or something in the audience with this this intense look on his face. Yeah, it's like talking <laughs> trying about to puzzle this out. Talking about menstrual cycles, and this kid is like, uh. <laughs> so yeah, you guys should really check out that YouTube. But uh, you know, I, I I think the listener and you could probably tell what my opinion and conclusion on this is. Um, but what what are your thoughts on this whole case, Tom, and this whole story? Well, I think I've already kind of said it. I think um, at best, Bud Hopkins was taken for a ride. At worst, uh, he was looking for money. Taken by a ride on a ride by the CIA, or no, taken on a ride by um, uh, Linda. Linda, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, it seems to everything seems to come around to like he was just taking her word for everything. I mean, maybe hypnosis. I don't know if you can lie in under hypnosis, or maybe she wasn't even hypnotized. But um, yeah, it that, seems, of course you can, man. Like it, it seems like there's. Uh, you could just. I'm sure people can pretend to be hypnotized, and I'm. And there's there's been studies that have shown that when people are actually hypnotized, they're extremely suggestible to any kind of leading questions and everything. And I, I, I haven't read any transcripts of Bud Hopkins, but uh, um, I, I, it, I assume, given his what looks like a confirmation bias, that he would. Um, when hypnotizing people, I could see him kind of maybe leading them in a direction that he wanted to hear. Yeah, I would like to see. I would like to see transcripts. Obviously, I was hoping that I'd be able to find those on that lindacortilecase.com, and because that that's really what hypnosis comes down. I mean, I don't, I don't know. We've been over hypnosis over and over again, but you got to see what kind of questions were be, being asked, and it's hard to to get into a UFO abduction and be totally neutral in your questions. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, um, but what do you think, uh, about all these witnesses? I mean, it does seem strange that, um, I think Yancey, uh, Yancey, whatever his name is, uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess he would be the most, uh, uh, one with the least amount of skin in the game. Uh, I mean, I mean, I could imagine where all her friends were helping her out, or maybe I don't know why she would hire people to to make up stories or anything. But I could see it where I, I don't know. It is hard because why why would a man like Yancey um, be making up stories and right? Um, it just seems like something an event like this that 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 is so spectacular and happened in such a populated area. Um, it seems like that there would have been a lot more witnesses, even at 3 a.m., and it seems like there would have been uh, a lot more news coverage of trying to get people, trying to find people who were potential witnesses, uh, even though then you, by doing that, you kind of open the floodgates for wackos to go like, oh, yeah, I was there, I saw it, and I also saw, um, yeah, I don't know, I saw JFK up there, too. So um, I agree, I agree. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, but like I said, man, I I still love like even though I think it's it's it didn't happen, I think it's a fascinating story and it's a fascinating look into uh, human psyche of, of wanting to be part of a club, uh, no matter how um, fringy the club is. Uh, I think people who feel as though they've been abducted uh, a lot of times uh, would like to find solace 
in meeting with other people who uh, claim to have been abducted, regardless of whether uh, the people have been abducted or not. It's just the just being part of a group of people, uh, traumatic bonding, I think. Right. Well, what do you, um, I don't know if you have any training in, with your legal background and stuff, but I mean, um, anything like, I don't know that there, that is a disconnect where it's like, okay, Linda was making everything up, but then there was all these witnesses. Of course, a lot of them were only through letters, so that could be faked, obviously. Um, well, I got to tell you, man, eyewitness testimony is considered to be the least reliable of uh, kinds of mm. uh, – in terms of evidence, um, especially in traumatic, situ- like, traumatic situations. Um, I, I've done some work for, for various organizations that have – um, that have looked at people who've been wrongfully convicted. And when people experience traumatic things or get freaked out, memories get distorted. And so I think if you see something that you don't, that's out of the ordinary or something that you don't recognize, it's very difficult for people to have a an accurate representation of what's happening in their typically are not very sharp so when you have nameless people making claims to be cia ops and uh it's just that doesn't it's not reliable to me man and yeah i I guess that's a long-winded answer to your question i mean that that dan and richard situation is is also strange like how how are these two guys? I mean, unless she was just making up all those stories, you know, I, I don't know. It's a wormhole. I'll leave it to the, to the listeners to, to puzzle out on their own. If, if you guys sure. have any ideas here, yeah, I mean, it, it's complicated. It's, it's a strange case, you know? Um, but I haven't, I have trouble buying it. I, I think the most likely thing is that Linda somehow made up this whole thing and maybe she could have gotten a group of close friends to help play along or something. Um, I don't know. The UN, uh, maybe I should have gone in a little more detail here, but like how the UN guy got in contact with Hopkins or vice versa. Um, but yeah, the the fact that he was unwilling to go on record is 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 damning in terms right. of that's it's it almost weakens uh, Hopkins's case. I think when you say like, yeah, I got a real high up person saying that this happened, but I can't tell you who the high up person is. Um, because they're not willing to go on record. Uh, it's yeah. I, I just, I feel like you, you gotta, if you're going to say I have a, an earth shattering source here, but I can't tell you who the source is. Sorry, man. I, I, that's then I got a, you know, I got a bridge to sell you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a, um, I'm not sure if it's the same one that I mentioned. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So the critique of Bud Hopkins' case of the UFO abduction of Linda Napolitano, I'm, I'm going to put the link on there. Um, I'll admit I, I didn't have the chance to go through the whole thing, and I wish I had now, obviously. But um, this is the one, the actual one written by Joseph J. Stafula, uh, Richard D. Butler, and, and George P. Hansen. So if you want to go in even more detail about the, uh, the credibility here, you can, you can check that out. It seems like they did a pretty good job investigating it. Unless they're just disinformation agents, who knows? 
this crazy <laughs> world. Um, but uh, anyway, I guess we'll I guess we'll leave it there. Um, Okie doke. Well, I mean, unless uh, you have any more to add on it, it not really. It's, um, it's a like I said, it's an interesting story. I, I don't I don't believe it really happened, but uh, right. it's that's what I don't feel any. Uh, I don't feel the worse for knowing about it. So yeah, like I said, I'm I'm glad you dug this one up, man. It seemed like Uh, an intriguing case in the beginning. I was excited to get into it because it it sounded pretty mind blowing. But then yeah, by the end, once I once I hit that list of coincidences between the book and the uh, the story, it's it's kind of hard to uh, to take without a grain of salt, you know. Sure. (laughs) All right. Well, happy belated fourth to everybody. I hope you had a good weekend last weekend. Um, Yeah. And uh, stay safe. We love you all. Please, guys. Yeah, stay safe. That's it. We're imploring you here. Yeah. And uh, wear a mask. Come on. Yeah. Dear God, (laughs) just put one on you, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ciao, guys. Love you all. Love you. Mwah.